Hey everybody, my name is Alan Shago, and this is To the West and Back. Two years ago, I discovered my true passion for photography on a trip out west to Seattle, where I met up with my best friend Cody. We took an epic road trip back to St. Louis through some incredible places like Yellowstone, the Tetons, and Colorado. The whole point of this podcast is to talk to people about how they discovered what they're passionate about and how they continue to improve their craft. Everyone has a unique journey that we can all learn from. I will be talking to people in all different creative fields, but I feel like the lessons and ideas can be applied to anyone. It's all about the journey, so follow along on mine as I talk to the great people that influence and inspire me. Ryan, welcome to the first ever episode. Well, thanks for having me. I'm stoked to be the uh, the number one, you know. Yeah, man, it's good to have you here. And uh, we have a really cool story, which I'm sure we'll dive into in this episode. But first, just give us like, a little bio and what you do. Oh, my goodness. So uh, my name is Ryan Hanlon. I am the kind of director owner of a little company called Route 3 Films. Now, if you're from the Midwest, you say Route. But if you're probably not from the Midwest, you say Route 3 Films. Yeah. <laughs> So Route 3 Films is a small video production company that I started almost seven years ago, I guess. And we serve schools and nonprofits primarily, but we also work with uh, small businesses that we're really passionate about and we like to work with. So, Yeah, man, I mean, your films are just like really amazing. So in college, I actually reached out, for everyone that doesn't know, I actually reached out to Ryan via email and I was like, hey man, can I do an internship with you? And we kind of just kept the dialogue going and we eventually made that happen. And it was just a, a really crazy summer and now, Fast forward to 2020, and that's about three years later. So I get to work with Ryan and a lot of cool projects. So that's true. Yes, yeah, true. Yes. Yeah. So for pe- people that are listening, um, Illinois College, where Alan attended, was one of my clients, and um, he'd seen my films and seen us on campus. And I went up there to speak to a class, uh, and Alan was right there in the front row supporting me, and uh, was just doggedly pursuing me to do an internship. And the funny part about that is I always tell people that they should get an intern and they should, you know, get help and get support through someone like that. And I finally took my own medicine and uh, kind of welcomed Alan in for a summer. But I think you thought you were going to be an intern, right? But yeah, I, I made you start a company. Yeah, I know. Yeah, like that's that was the uh, the summer that I started that my company. Story. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So Ryan, like the, at the end of the summer, Ryan's like, well, "We're going to start a company for you," and uh, he helped me get everything together. And it was just crazy, like you know, going into that was my senior year of college. So started doing a lot of photo shoots, and it just kind of transformed into a wedding business. And then now I get to work with Ryan all the time, so we we have a good time for sure. So let's dive into the uh, the backstory of Route 3 Films, you know, kind of how you got into filmmaking and then how you eventually, you know, got to where you are today. Yeah, yeah. It's a good story. It's a long story. So I'll try and be uh, as brief as I can. But, um, you know, I grew up um, in the 80s, basically, you know, um, was in high school in the 90s. So my senior year in high school would have been about 95. And throughout high school, I got involved with the school plays. But but I was also the, the kid that was in the school plays that played sports. And then I was the kid that had a cool old, you know, hot rod. Yeah, so, so you were involved in a lot of different groups. Yeah, and, and that's part of how I was brought up. You know, I, I big family, you know, funny family, lots of sarcasm, lots of laughter. Uh, my dad was always involved in lots of different things from marathon running to race cars. Um, so I was always interested in a lot of things. And in high school, you know, I was able to kind of spread my wings and be in a play and do different things. And the teacher that I had, um, an amazing person, uh, Ruth Klaus, uh, was my um, was my drama teacher, drama instructor, right? And then she also was my teacher my senior year in a humanities class, which was a really fun, interesting class. And at the end of that humanities class, at the end of the semester, they wanted us to make a you know a big project, you know. Um, and I said, well, what if I made a video? And I still remember Mrs. Klaus, you know, she was so graceful and amazing and intelligent um she said uh well take it seriously mr hanlon <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. and so i took it very seriously because at the time i was just obsessed with like you know 1960s america i had a 65 chevelle um i was listening to oldies music all the time you know i just really felt like i was born in the wrong decade or something and we made this story about these two friends. Uh, one friend goes to Vietnam and one friend goes off to college and how their lives kind of like change and then how they bump into each other again one day on the street. And I think that my teacher, my classmates, I think everybody expected like a glorified SNL skit, but I had this very serious film that I showed, um, kind of took the air out of the room. And, and I think that Ruth was really impressed. 
And I don't think they expected that to come from me. And then I, and that was my first experience of sitting in a corner of a room and watching other people watch something that I made. So it was really a powerful experience. Um, but I was, you know, I was an average to below average student. You know, I got weak grades. <laughs> yeah. You know, like Gary Vaynerchuk says, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I wasn't really a great student. Uh, I just had to stay eligible for sports, you know. Would you say that was like the moment in that class when you're like, this is what I want to do. Like, I want to do this for a living. Or was that, did that come later? Well, no, because you got to remember the times, right? So you came up with the internet. You came up yeah. with a much different world than I did. You know, in 1995, when you're graduating from high school, you know, there is no internet. You know, you don't, you don't think like that. You just think, wow, this, this is something that I accomplished in this moment. Now what do I do? You know, and I wasn't on my way to a big state college or a big university like most kids were in my class. I was on my way to a community college because um, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, um, it was a scary time. It was an uncertain time. And I didn't know if I would go to Lewis and Clark Community College for a year or two, which is our, was our local community college, or I would um, just go to work, like go work with my dad um, where he worked. I. It was a very uncertain time. It was weird. But no, that, that moment did give me a boost of confidence to say, well, this was so easy and this came so easy. Like I literally had two VCRs stacked on top of each other in my basement and I would edit the film with two remote controls like that. Wow. I mean, this is archaic yeah. stuff to your audience. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I mean, like I, we came in, like for, I, for me anyway, I came in on the end of VHS tapes and that kind of like transformation into DVD. So but that was an world. interesting way to edit films. Oh yeah, sure. it was a very mechanical way to, to, to make a film. Um, and I came from a very mechanized analog world working on cars and working on dirt bikes and following my dad around junkyards. So it just kind of made sense to make that film that way. And we had a 65 Chevelle at our disposal. We had the beautiful Alton, Illinois, which has got brick streets and old homes. So it was easy to make that film in a lot of ways because we had so much great architecture around us, you know? Yeah. But then I was off to a community college after that to figure out what the hell to do. So what did that look like for you, like going to college? There, were there some filmmaking things going on there? Or? No, there wasn't. And it was kind of, you know, I, I love Lewis and Clark Community College, and hopefully we can talk about that more in the interview. Um, but back then, you know, the thing to do, uh, it's so different because life is so different now, you know, with, with the age of the Internet and, and young entrepreneurs and things like that. You know, if you weren't going to a big college, you were kind of a loser. You know what I mean? Like, I felt like I would just go to Lewis and Clark and try and figure it out, you know? Yeah. Um, but as always, you know, at any institution, there's always amazing people that love what they do and love their students. And I met another amazing person, uh, Mr. Jim Price, who was a um, instructor at Lewis and Clark. And I was taking his film, I was taking his film class, it was called Art of Film. And I was so excited that my community college had a film class. Uh, and I thought, what the hell? Well, I'll try it out and see how it goes. I was so excited. Um, you know, and, and he was such an enthusiastic, like energetic, fun teacher. And it was, it was so eye-opening for me because I was like, well, this is what college must be like. These cool young instructors that inspire you. And uh, near the end of the course, you know, like most courses, you have to do a big paper, or a big presentation. And I said, hey, Jim, can I make a film? <laughs> and he said, yes, absolutely. He enthusiastically supported me. And at this time, I had a little bit better camera. I had a little bit better game plan. Uh, so we basically reshot the old film, but in black and white and improved upon what we did before. Um, and I remember the first thing he said, like after he saw the film, he was like, Little Scorsese, because <laughs> I had I had music throughout the whole film, you know, and a lot of my favorite films when I was growing up uh, had cool. a lot of music in them. So you guys like, replaced the paper with that film? Yeah, once again, I talked my way uh, out of a, a, an assignment with making a video, and uh, and Jim just enthusiastically supported me. Um, it's really and, interesting because like if that if they if he would have said no. And it's like, could your career path have changed? You know, if he was like, if the teachers in your life and the mentors that you've had, they were like, no, you can't do that. Like, don't do that. Just write the paper like everyone else. Like that could have impacted you to oh, it's not like, do filmmaking. Yeah. It, it, looking back now at the age I am now, it, it, that, those were major ripple moments in my life that had huge effects on everything I did for it. And, and, you know, I think in a lot of ways, what they did is they gave me confidence. 
And it showed me that I was really good at something. I wasn't just like a average walk-on athlete who got in the game a little bit or who, who got the supporting part in the play or whatever. I was really good at this. Like, I felt like I was talented at this. But, you know, my parents were like, what? You want to do what? Filmmaking? Like, it just was a different time, yeah. you know? Yeah, I mean, um, in today's world, I mean, with like YouTube and Instagram and Facebook, I mean... Yeah, my daughter's a filmmaker, you yeah, know? Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> everyone's, everyone's putting out video content now. So it's like, it would have been... An incredibly different story, I'm sure. Oh yeah, and I mean, I I'd love to talk about this more if we have time. But you know, Jim and Ruth, unfortunately, were taken from us. You know, and they both they both had terrible battles with cancer. Um, so like, I lost these two just incredibly important people, like incredibly important people in my life, uh, almost back to back. Um, and I think about that a lot. And I think about like they were educators. You know what I mean? And that had such yeah. a huge effect on me and maybe that's what I should be doing next yeah. is maybe I should be thinking about becoming an educator because of the profound effect they had on me. And now they're, they're no longer here. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that, but it's really interesting to, to have those mentors, you know, even like the teachers in time, maybe you don't realize they're mentors, but you're looking back on it. It's like, wow, they had such a big impact. So maybe we can talk about transition a little bit away to, uh, to finding mentors mm-hmm. and things like that. And people that really you can surround yourself with, you don't have to, reach the unreachable people that there's there's mentors really everywhere you look and just surround yourself with good people yeah we've talked about this a little bit before i think the idea with mentors especially for young people that are listening to this is that you have to get better about recognizing a mentor in your life you know we're oftentimes seeking out a quick fix or a quick response or a person that will fix everything and give us that great job but sometimes you just kind of got to look around and recognize the people that are already in your life that are trying to help you, trying to give you good advice, um, and just being more cognizant of that, you know? Yeah, and taking advantage of, like, asking I mean, I, them questions and everything like that. Exactly. Like, so, you know, at the time, I didn't I didn't know much. Uh, the, the thing is, is, I admired Ruth, and I admired Jim very much. I respected them, you know. Ruth was this intelligent, graceful, you know, she was always dressed to the nines. She was so intelligent and so amazing. And she inspired me, right? So I wanted to ask her questions. I wanted to joke around with her and be sarcastic and try my comedy out with her and um, ask her about my ideas and about developing my ideas. So I think the idea of mentors is recognizing who they are and, and feeling okay with asking them lots and lots of questions. My father was a, um, I say he's a good mentor, but a terrible teacher. <laughs> He'd probably agree with that. And um, I used to ask him a thousand questions. Oh my God, just over and over again. And I, he, he would answer some and not answer others. And I found myself uh, here last night with my son, Connor, working on that motorcycle I was telling you about. And he's asking me a zillion questions. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is I'm like, Connor, you have Google. Yeah. Like you could actually go and sit down and learn everything you want to learn about everything. That's the difference between the life you're getting to live now and my life. Yeah, you know? it's like that, education at your fingertips. Education much at like your fingertips. Any, there's so many YouTube videos out there about literally anything. If you type it in there, there's multiple videos about it. So it's crazy how that that's almost becoming like a, a way of school too. Yeah, it's, it's almost its own mentor because you can find mentors, yeah. you know, uh, through the power of the internet. Yeah, and then if, even if you find like YouTubers that you really like, you know, that they almost become a mentor as well, you know, because you can, most of the time you can interact with them oh, and yeah, comment and there's so many ways to get in touch with people, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a different time. Um, that's why I love telling my story because um, it was difficult. It was a difficult time to want to be a filmmaker, want to be a creative person. Most people were not, thinking about careers like that it was hard yeah so let's kind of jump back into the the backstory of how you got to route three films and kind of go back to sure you know post-graduation and what that looked like for you yeah so um so i had these i had these two projects kind of under my belt and uh things were getting better for me at lewis and clark i was enjoying going to school there and thinking about okay i can i can now transfer after two years i can transfer to a school which is what one of my siblings, my older sister, Bridget, did. She transferred from Lewis and Clark to Eastern Illinois, uh, Illinois University. Um, I just broke the rule. I said Illinois. <laughs> um, so what I did is I started looking around at schools and my parents were like, what are you, what do you mean video production? How are you not, you need to get a job. You know, they were like, this, there's no jobs in this. What the hell? And I remember we went all the way up to Chicago to look at Columbia College, which is a really cool art school. And, uh, and my parents just kind of shook their head and they're like, you're never going to survive in Chicago. Like they, they still didn't buy into this yeah. idea of 
video or audio production or that kind of stuff. So then we went and looked at Webster University out here in Webster Groves, Missouri. And, uh, and I think they liked that idea more. That school really emphasized um, having an internship, getting real life work experience so that when you left Webster, you could hopefully get a job. Yeah. And I was only like 45 minutes from home, an hour from home. So I, I wanted to go to Webster. And Webster was like, your grades are terrible. <laughs> they looked at my transcript and they're like, you know, you're a very, very average to below average yeah. uh, student. But you're saying that you want to work in film and video production. Do you have examples of your work? And I was like, examples of my work? I'm not like an artist. You know, I don't have like sculptures and yeah. paintings and photos. And they're like, no, idiot. Do you have any videos? <laughs> and I was like, well, I've got these two little VHS tapes. Um, they're like, send them over. You know, I was such a bashful little, you know, kid from Alton. So I, I still remember putting them in the envelope with my parents and mailing them over to Webster Groves. And then, you know, sometime later, I got this letter that said, you've been accepted on a probationary basis to Webster University. And I was freaking out, you know. It's incredible. And then once I got to Webster, um, I started getting straight A's. You know, I started like buckling down and just being so enthusiastic about this opportunity. I felt like I was given an opportunity. And you'll, you'll, you know, you'll, there's other themes in my life like that, um, where it, nothing was really kind of ever given to me. I had to fight tooth and nail for it. And this was another example of that. Um, but I, 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 I'd arrived, I was at Webster, yeah. you know, and I, I made such great friends. And when you go to a school like that, you've got dancers, actors, uh, uh, jazz composition majors, you've got other filmmakers, you've got singer, you're surrounded by all of these incredible people that are all trying to do the same thing. So for the first time in my life, my goals felt reachable because I was around people from all over the, the world, all over the country that were trying to do other cool creative things. So it felt like it was more like in my grasp now. And I quickly like started becoming a teacher's assistant. Um, I took a bunch of acting classes. I was kind of the go-to actor in college for everyone's projects because we're all trying to help each other with our projects. Yeah. So I was always like, hey, I'll act in your film. You know, It was just great. It was like the sun came out. Yeah, it's interesting too how you kind of didn't do well in school before, but then you found that thing that you were passionate about and you're like, all right, here we go. Like, this is what I'm going to do. So it's kind of like, I guess we can talk about finding that thing that you're passionate about and really honing in on that skill and not really worrying about like, you know, oh, like, is this going to get me more likes on Instagram or, or my, yeah. you know, like really just like enjoying what you're doing. Yeah, it's true. And I, I think, again, this theme of like the day and age that we live in, and, and, you know, and we'll talk about this later, but like Route 3 Films is that, you know, we just want to serve schools and nonprofits. That wouldn't have worked in a different time. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Um, and you can kind of get away with that you can kind of get away with having a niche, you know, and we, as you know, as you've learned, I really emphasize that to people that you should probably figure out what you love to do. This is for video people, let's say, or photographers, you know, figure out what you really love to do and be around and then figure out a way to create content around it. And there's lots of examples that your listeners probably don't know about, but there's a lot of people that will have come to us. They've come to our friends, uh, like Michael Gavin, who's an amazing person that I hope your, your yeah. listeners get to know. Yeah, I'm he'll, sure he'll be on he'll, here. He'll definitely be on an episode <laughs> in the future. He'll crush it. Um, but you know, we try and tell people like, figure out what you really like to do and then go create content around it. And a lot of times people will say, well, I'm not going to make money making videos about, you know, uh, uh, a dirt bike track in, you know, in my state or yeah. in Southern Missouri or something. It's like, well, no, actually you can. So just go do it. So the idea is trying to get young people to go and generate content around something they really care about and then give that content to someone that's in that arena, right? So to use that example, um, let's say somebody owns a, uh, let's say you're crazy about motorcycles and you, and you love video and you love photography and there is a motorcycle track in your area or there's a motorcycle dealer or maybe even better, there's a motorcycle shop that's family owned that needs help, that needs content. Go to them and say, hey, I wanna make content for you for six months or for three months or for a month or just one video and do it for free. Do it because you love the sport and you love small businesses or whatever and you just generated content. And that's the exact same example of me making that video about the kid that goes to Vietnam, the kid that goes off to college. I, I wasn't getting paid to do that I was given permission to do that. Yeah. So I made that film and then I benefited from that film because then I put it in front of Lewis and Clark. And then I put the film at Lewis and Clark in front of Webster. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's kind of that's kind of my advice for that is like go and do versus hoping that you get a job that will allow you to do. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of how I've gotten a lot of everything that I've done is just like sending people messages being like, hey, can I like work for you? I mean, that's how I got to intern with you. Mm-hmm. So I've worked with a lot of bands in St. Louis. I'm just like, hey, I got us to come out to the show, make some sweet videos. And then from that, you get connected to so many new people too. And you know, like they, they have married like weddings and they're gonna get married so they could eventually hire you and things like that. And they're gonna branch off into different ventures and they're gonna just kind of need your help. So it's a really good way to just make connections too. Just, you know, reaching out to people and the stuff that you're passionate about. Well, and if you create something, whatever it is, um, you know, if you create art, if you create videos, if you take photos, if you create cars, if you're a hot rod builder or something, you know what I mean? You just have to figure out a way to share that creation. And again, that's that's the joy of living right now is that we have all of these social media platforms for you to basically share your work. But there's nothing worse than someone that creates good work or creates work that they're passionate about and then won't share it with anyone. You know, yeah. and that's really the crime. So it's like whatever you do, do what you love, but then figure out a way to deliver what you've created to an audience, however large or however small. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Well, yeah, let's get back on to, uh, you know, post-graduation life and what that looked like for you. Yeah, from, yeah, that's from great. Yeah, so, uh, so I graduated from college in 1999. Uh, tough time to graduate from college with a film and video production career yeah. degree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and back in those days in St. Louis where we're at here, um, Route 3 Films is based, there was a handful of large video production entities, which was kind of the, um, you know, that's kind of how it worked back then. And you could either get a job there or you couldn't. Um, you could get a job there maybe as an entry level person, or maybe you went somewhere and you operated teleprompter, or you went somewhere and uh, worked as a grip for a year or something. It was very difficult to find work. Um, and I was shopping my, you know, my, my reel around, my demo reel, and I was, um, you know, trying to get people to like answer the phone because back then you email back then wasn't as like, it was just different. You know what I mean? Like you, you couldn't exactly just get someone's email address and then email them something, you know? Yeah. Um, but then out of nowhere, like out of the clear blue sky, my older brother, who was a successful attorney, he's eight years older than I am, says, Hey, I'm taking you to Ireland for your graduation gift. And I was like, you are, oh my gosh, that's amazing. I, you know, we're a couple of corn cobs from the Midwest <laughs> and you're t- taking me to Ireland. And I think down deep, he just wanted me to drive him around Ireland because he didn't want to drive. <laughs> he just needed to chauffeur in Ireland. He's like, you can drive on the opposite side of the road. The roads are super narrow and it's a stick shift and you have to shift with your left hand. So you're driving yeah, and good, I'm going go, to go to the pubs. <laughs> so anyway, so my brother takes me to Ireland for eight days and we went to Dublin and Galway and Cork and then back to Dublin. And I remember at one point we were sitting in a pub, just having a great time, uh, great bonding experience for us, especially with our age difference. And he said, you know, Ryan, you know what you should do? You should take 90 days and do something like this before you join the workforce. You know, you should take 90 days and continue this journey in Western Europe or go travel to Western States or just go do something for 90 days. He's like, listen, man, you're not gonna be able to ever do this ever again. You're gonna become a working stiff and you'll have one or two weeks of vacation a year and you'll get your garden apartment and your car payment and your life will be over. <laughs> it's very, very optimistic. Very, uh, yeah. very Hamlet-esque, <laughs> very uh, the Irish Catholic-esque advice, you know. <laughs> so I just really had a profound effect on me and I think that people need to understand that like, you know, we, we weren't a family that could afford to travel. We, traveling for us was going on a camping trip or going to the racetrack or something. We never traveled, we never had those type of really epic cultural experiences and then out of nowhere my brother provided this experience to me with this incredible advice that again at the time I was like wow this is coming from my brother you know who's taking me to Ireland it's crazy so when I got home I still couldn't find a job man it's like unless you knew somebody you were not going to get to operate a camera in the city of St. Louis in 1999 it just wasn't going to happen and my brother's advice kept ringing in my ear And I thought, well, let's go against the grain. Let's do what we always do, Ryan. Let's do something unique and different. So I thought, what if I went back to Ireland for six months and I take all my headshots and I take my demo reel and maybe I become like the American actor in Dublin or something. And maybe I get a couple of bit parts or maybe I get in an indie film or something. And somehow I talked my parents into letting me do this. So I sold my car. I had some money saved up and I started to look at plane tickets. 
But my best friend, Ben Alford, was also kind of in the same boat, you know, trying to find a job. He, he had a hard time, as I did at Lewis and Clark with grades and stuff. Um, but an extremely talented guy, um, an incredible drummer, uh, an incredible friend. And I said, hey, Ben, why don't you come to Ireland with me? Wow. <laughs> and his parents were like, what? What are you two ding-dongs doing? I said, well, we're going to move to Ireland for six months. And we're going to have, you know, we're going to look for work. And, and, I, and my sales pitch to his parents was that like, well, when we come back, it's going to be a great icebreaker story for job interviews. It'll be a great, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be good for us to do this. And who knows, maybe we'll stay and we'll get good work and who knows where this will go. So anyway, my, my parents and his parents were like, okay, we'll let you guys try this. Uh, and we had the money, you know, we, I sold my car, he sold his car. Um, and we bought a six month plane ticket to Ireland and long story short, um, we were in Dublin for like, you know, 10 days or something staying at a youth hostel, trying to find jobs, like any job, like anything. Yeah. It'll take the trash out of the pub for you, you know? And we couldn't find work. And I said, well, let's go over to Galway because I've been to Galway before and um, we may have a better chance of finding work over there, you know, smaller city and all. So we go to Galway on St. Patrick's Day and we walk into this youth hostel and there's a guy sitting there, um, the receptionist. His name's Sean Finn. He's from DeKalb, Illinois. Wow. What are the odds? <laughs> and Sean's like, hey, man. I'm like, you're from DeKalb, Illinois? I'm like, I'm from Alton, Illinois. He's like, hey, there's a job opening here. So long story short, I get a job at that youth hostel immediately. I make some incredible friends. And I was faced with this choice. I'm like, do I keep stressing out about you know getting acting work or getting a job on a set or a little movie or something? Or do I just do this job and try to have a great life experience? And that's what I did. So I just worked at the youth hostel. I got a second job at an internet cafe where back in those days you had to go somewhere to use the internet. And, um, and then Ben got a job um, on the other side of the river at like a little market, you know. And I ended up meeting a couple of American girls one night. And I had this one girl, I was like, hey, you should really meet my friend Ben. You know, I think you guys would hit it off. And they did hit it off. And they ended up like falling head over heels in love. And completely turned his life around. We came home from Ireland. He moved to uh, California, to the West. And um, Tara became his girlfriend, became his fiance, and then they got married. And that trip to Ireland completely turned his life around. He went back to college. He's now a big time superintendent on an Orange County golf course. And I actually married those two <laughs> back in the day. What so, an incredible story, So it's an incredible story, it's an incredible <laughs> adventure. But it was a good example of, of, of sometimes saying, you know, what I thought was going to happen didn't, but I shouldn't let that ruin the party. You know what I mean? And, and it ended up becoming an incredible trip. And that trip really became about Ben and about his life changing and me just being part of that, you know, getting to be, be passenger on his journey. Um, and I look back now and that's how I look at that experience. But I will say that when I started to look for jobs, people were completely intrigued with my story. Like, yeah, well, that sounds like a movie. Yeah. Well, <laughs> imagine like the, if next, you're, the next Route 3 films. Film. <laughs> <laughs> well, imagine if you're a young person going into these job interviews, you know, you want to have something interesting to say. Yeah. Set you apart from everybody else. And they want to challenge you. They always have these very typical questions to challenge you, you know, and they want to see if you're an interesting person that has something to say or something to offer. So I would tell my Ireland story and, oh my God, like these people would just sit there and listen and they forgot about the job interview. They forgot about the position I was applying for. They would tell me that they had an uncle who grew up, you know, in Ireland or whatever, you know, and it just broke down these walls. So I began to think, okay, well, my career may not be, I may not be a camera guy. I may not be a director. Maybe I can leverage something here. And I ended up getting a job in the audiovisual industry. So I worked in hotels doing large scale event production. So it still involved a creative element, um, but it pulled more on my, my sales ability, my organizational abilities, um, and I started running big shows and big events. And I did that for 10 years. And the, the five of those years were in San Diego, which was incredible, a whole other story. Way better weather than here in St. Louis. <laughs> Way better <right>? weather, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's, that was kind of my story after college. I got a job in the audiovisual business, uh, which was a good job, and I just kept kind of working my way up the ranks. And in San Diego, I was kind of at the top of my game. And then I had an opportunity to come home to St. Louis to open the Four Seasons, which was a hotel chain I always wanted to work for. Um, and at that time, my son was born and my daughter was on the way. And, you know, I, I kind of closed the, um, the book, right, 
the creative life of Ryan Hanlon yeah. was closed and, and it was on. shelved mm -hmm. way in the back of the library. And I was just an audiovisual guy trying to make a living. Wow. That's so, so cool. Cause all those experiences, I mean, that's really what the podcast is about is all these experiences in our life that really kind of shift or and transform you to kind of who you are, you know what I mean? And like, I feel like Jimmy and the cinematographer for about three films, one of them. And uh, we always talk about how you can relate to almost anyone. You know what I mean? Like all these people have like these, <laughs> like, like these like cool, crazy places they've been. You're like, oh, I've been there and done this. And then you just have this epic bond already, you know, formed. And that's why the interviews always go so well. So really all the experiences just help us kind of, kind of help us like make stories, you know, to tell other people and to relate well, to everybody. Yeah. And I think that people should, you know, that's kind of the idea with your, the title of your podcast to the West and back. I mean, the idea is that, you know, travel is uh, is good for your soul, right? Yeah, and totally and sometimes people think, oh well, I, I've never been anywhere, you know. And it's like, well, you can just get in the car and go two hours from downtown St. Louis and see waterfalls. You can see um, beautiful rivers, uh, bluff faces. You can meet interesting people. You know, you're five hours from Chicago. I mean, there's a lot you can do if you just hop in your yeah. car every weekend and seek out experiences and seek out people. Um, you will be a better, more well-rounded, creative person if you can talk to people about the things that you've done and relate to them. So to your point about that, <laughs> that joke you guys always have about me uh, being able to relate to everybody, um, I take a lot of pride in that. You yeah. know, I want to be a person that's done a lot of things and been a lot of places because I'm going to be a better filmmaker. I'm going to be a better writer. Uh, and I think I'll be a better mentor, you know? Yeah, people can relate to you too. So it's like we always do these documentary style interviews. So we sit down and we do just what we're doing right now. We just have a conversation with people. It's not scripted or anything like that. So I think that's also really interesting too, that you really get to, you connect with the people in a short amount of time and then they can really kind of trust you and be like, I'm going to give you my genuine, authentic story. Yeah. Well, and I think the issue with like scripting things uh, when it comes to video production is that I think a lot of times you can hide behind the script and you can hide behind the storyboard. Um, those become these things that are safe spaces for us. Um, I was never great at storyboarding in college. I was never great at, um, you know, I was an organizational nut, so I could organize a film shoot in college very well and run it. But when it came to the creative aspect of the story or the actors, a lot of times I would, I would have a loose script. You know, I'd say, this is kind of where I'm going to go with this, you know, and this is kind of where I want you to go with it. A lot of times I would act in my own films, too. Um, but I just feel like in this day and age, the documentary style filmmaking that we do is just so brutally honest, you know, and people can can sense that when they watch the film. Yeah, it's not a voiceover that's like very obviously scripted. It's like these genuine people telling their their actual stories. So, yeah, and I feel like. Uh, I feel like this stuff comes easy to us. We have a great crew of people yeah. that we get to work with here about three and we, this is easy for us. It's hard for us to have to like work within the confines of a script or a storyboard or some crazy timeline. We do a lot better doing what we do, but then I'll talk to a lot of other very professional filmmakers, directors, producers, what have you. And they say what we do is extremely difficult. They say what we do, they would never want to do. And I think it's cause there's some, maybe some uncertainty in that. But again, to your point, I think if you're building a lot of trust with the people that you're interviewing or the stories that you're trying to tell, they, uh, they know that you have their back, they've seen the work that you've produced, and if you've taken some time to get to know them, it makes for just a great interview. Yeah, that's definitely for sure. Let's talk a little bit about, the, uh, about that filmmaking process. Um, we always talk about how, you know, a lot of people don't understand like how behind the scenes, like what has to happen, you know, like all the, even just like the dry, hard drive management that we, oh, we always deal with. So just kind of like walk us through like that, uh, the creative process of the filmmaking, but also just like the, you know, like the logistics of getting the B roll and things like that. Mm -hmm. Well, those are, those are, that's a good question. Um, so back in the day, you know, when we used to make videos, as I just mentioned, it's, it was very planned. The shots were very planned. Everything was very storyboarded. Um, and I just, I just never did well with that, right? Um, so when I had this opportunity to come back to filmmaking, it was because of my really good friend, Michael Gebbin, was making these beautiful wedding films. And you know, a wedding film is not something that you really stage. Yeah, you're it's just, yeah, you're just there kind of like, like a fly on the wall, you know what I mean? Like no one really knows you're there. You're just kind of getting those amazing moments. Yeah, you're supposed to be capturing things. You're supposed yeah. to be accumulating things. Um, so I had come from the live event world, you know, doing audiovisual and big hotels and stuff. Michael had come from the wedding world, right? So, so we team up. Michael gives me this incredible opportunity to leave my career, uh, you know, spread my wings and go work for him. 
which was scary. It was scary as hell, you know, because I had two kids and a mortgage and I was going to go on a whim and go work for Michael at his video production company. Um, but he had this kind of wedding style that made a lot of sense to me and was very free. So what I realized is I was like, well, we could take Michael's style of filmmaking and we could apply that to clients that need it. And I, you know, I grew up in Alton, which was where Michael was based and his company was based. So I was working there. I knew a lot of people in Alton. I knew a lot of business owners. I knew the assistant superintendent of schools because my mom worked in the schools. My, you know, my sister worked in the schools. My wife worked in the schools. So I approached the assistant superintendent of the Alton School District, uh, Christy Baumgartner, and I said, hey, I got this crazy idea. I'm like, we want to make a film for your school and we want to put it on your website, <laughs> which sounds pretty normal, right? Yeah. yeah but these, back then, this yeah. was not normal. You know, you're talking almost a decade ago, just about. And um, Christy was like, let's do it. That's a killer idea, you know? So we took that documentary style of wedding films and just applied that to the school. And I thought, okay, well, here's what I'll do. I'll interview a cross section of people. So maybe I'll interview the principal or the superintendent or parent or a student. And again, that just came very easy to me. I think all those years of selling and working in a hotel, it just kind of came easy to me to identify the audience. And I will set with those folks and interview them and figure out where the story is going to go. So if it's a school that's really deep into faith, if it's a school that's really deep into athletics or Maybe there's a theme of um, engineering and mathematics, or, or maybe it's not about any of that. Maybe it's about, um, you know, service to the community. I need to set with people and find out what they're honestly talking about and what's going on. And that's kind of the most important part of the process is identifying who the ambassadors are at the school, at the nonprofit, at the small business, and then set and talk with them. And you're not trying to like coax them to say something, you know, um, you're trying to figure out what they want to tell you, you know? And so once we've accumulated all of those interviews for a project, we go and we sit with those interviews. And I'm blessed to have some very talented editors that work with me, you know, and, and we can set with that content and go through it and create like a skeleton of what people are saying. And I always follow a three act structure because I'm an old school film guy, right? So beginning, middle and end, first act, second act, middle act, you know? And I always tell people, when they get a little nervous in the interview, I tell them, all we're trying to do is identify who you are, find out why we're talking to you, and then lastly, is there a call to action? And that's my three-act structure, just like a play or a movie, right? And so music will play a huge part of my process, especially early on when we were really lean and mean and we were hungry for, for jobs and for, for a bigger reel, a demo reel. Um, I a lot of times would pick a song before I'd even shoot the interviews. You know, I'd have a sense of what I wanted to do. And so, you know, when you set with your editor, you've got a great song, you've got a collection of sound bites, and you begin to piece together this film. And then lastly, we'll shoot the B-roll. And a lot of times video creators will shoot the B-roll the same day of the interviews, or they'll shoot them maybe before or something like that. And, and sometimes people will have a very check-the-box B-roll list. Let's get a picture of the front of the building. Let's get a shot of people walking in the building. Let's get a shot of students in the hallway. And that's good, you know, and that's very standard. But what I'll do is I will let the interviews motivate what we shoot. So if Steve keeps talking about the gym that was built by an alumni who died of cancer, well, I'll tell you what, we're going to do something with that gym and make that gym look like a church. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my process. And then basically build that film with that structure. Yeah, that's interesting too because like if you have a storyboard and you know the sound bites, you basically already have the film made. You just got to go get the, the assets. But with the style that we do, it's like you gotta go and you have this puzzle, but you kind of have to cut the puzzle pieces as you go, you know, and kind of mold everything together. And there's a lot of different options that you can go with too. Those sound bites can go in different ways. The film can focus on different things. So each time, it's like you know, it could be a, a different edit. You know, you could do a lot of different things with that same interview. So well, and it, sometimes it can be scary for the client because they're like. Well, I really want to make like this video or I really think I should make this video. And a lot of times I'll keep the um, I'll keep that kind of organic and I'll say, well, well, I know you want a client focused film and I know you want to, you know, you want a uh, internal film about your employees. That's the direction we're moving, but we're not going to like put it in a box and say this is exactly the film and this is the length and this is the amount of interviews. We have a nice roadmap. Now let's go try and find the destination. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Let's take the scenic route to find the destination. Yeah, that's a really cool way to do it. Yeah, I could see, like, you know, like how for someone that would be scary, you know? 
but uh, I think in the end, everyone's always like, wow, like I'm so glad we did that route instead of the other the other way to do it. Well, I think about my dad a lot because my dad, uh, when I was growing up, you know, raced and restored cars and still does to this day, 77 years old, still competes. And he put most of us through college by flipping old cars, you know, and figuring out solutions in the garage. And I always, I always love the racers I meet and the guys I continue to meet and race with now myself because they are all about solutions. You know, if they're in their garage and they're trying to fix something or build something for somebody, sometimes they have to make the tool. Like, I love that. I love when like dad would be wow. like, well, let me show you this wrench that I made by grinding the ear off and welding this on. Like he created a solution to the problem to create the product, to yeah. build the car, you know? And I, I think that's been instilled in me too with these films. It's like, there's always a way, there's always a solution. We'll, we'll get to the finish line. Yeah, we'll figure it out and make it happen. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, let's circle back to the, uh, to that big decision that you had to make. You know, when you were at the hotel, you had this kind of pretty nice job at the Four Seasons Hotel, but then you decided to uh, to leave that. So let's kind of like walk through that decision and how, I mean, that must've been a hard decision. You know what I mean? It wasn't like you were still like that young kid from going to Ireland, you had a family now and things like that. So talk about that decision-making process. Yeah, yeah, good question. I kind of touched on that a little bit. Um, so yeah, so I was, I was celebrating the 10th year of my career. I was with a big audiovisual company. I had settled into the Four Seasons here in St. Louis, beautiful hotel, amazing people from all over the world were brought here to, to open that property. And, um, and then 2007, 2008 happens and the economy collapses, you know, and me being the age I was at the time, looking at my 401k and thinking like, my God, what, ha what happened here? Yeah. <laughs> All these years of working so hard, paycheck to paycheck, saving and saving, saving. And, and here I am now with, with less staff, um, because of my seniority and because of my ability to make things happen, you know, I wasn't laid off, but I was my staff was cut my ability to get more staff uh, was cut and i had to do more with less and i had two children you know connor and audrey um they were very little at that time which anybody that's a parent knows that when they're little it's it's hard to to work 10 or 12 hours a day 14 hours a day seven days a week and that's what the hotel was demanding of me they demanded me to perform because of the way the world at that time you know and i was just getting so burnt out so burnt out and i remember there was a funeral of a friend that died young and I can remember being in the hallway at the hotel with my supervisor. Um, and this was with an audiovisual company. This was not the hotel. This was my uh, secondary company that I worked for because the hotel was amazing and always very supportive of me. He and I were butting heads, you know, about getting some time off, you know, and I was like, my God, what am I doing? Yeah. You know, like, is this really like, is this what's going to be like, yeah. you know, like, is this what my the rest of my thirties and my forties and my fifties are going to be like, you know? And I just wanted out so bad. And I can remember sitting in my uh, my office at the hotel, man, and we would put in some hours, dude. We'd put in a 12 hour day like that. Six to six would fly by. And I remember just staring out the window and thinking like, I was dreaming about the littlest things. I was like, I just want an extra day off. I just want a few extra days off. I want to take my children camping. You know, I wish I had a little extra cash flow to buy a pop-up camper. Yeah, it's like, just like some like simple things. Simple you know, it's things like that simple, I was just yeah, pining away days. about and, and realizing that I was ne none of that was ever gonna happen. There would never be any extra cash flow. And if there was, I would never have any time. And I created this situation for myself where I was a successful, smart employee, but then I was I was so valued by my company because of those traits that I was being overworked. And it was just heartbreaking. And then the worst part about it is my poor wife was commuting like 45 minutes a day to her job, basically dealing with the children on her own in the morning and in the evenings and on the weekends sometimes when I had big events. And I was like, this has to stop. So I started looking around for anything, anything that I could do to get out of there. And I hated it. I wanted to, I actually wanted to work for the hotel and just break away from audiovisual because I love the Four Seasons and it's just an amazing place to work. But the opportunities just weren't there. And out of nowhere, my mother, <laughs> my mother sends me these news clippings all the time of people in Alton doing interesting things. Um, and she sent me a news clipping of Michael Gavin. She's like, isn't this really cool? This guy's doing video stuff in Alton. Oh, and by the way, you know, his uncle was your little league coach. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I was like, all right, mom, thanks for the, thanks for the article. And I remember <laughs> yeah. looking at that article and I remember then like going and looking at Michael's website and thinking about, boy, what an interesting young man this guy is and what a great life he's living, good for him, you know? So what I did is I reached out to him and I said, hey man, maybe you could do some, some work for the hotel or for the casino, they always need some video stuff. And he appreciated me reaching out. And then, and then actually the casino wanted, uh, 
casino was part of the hotel. They wanted some uh, some footage like dumped to a DVD or something. I don't know. And, and Gebs had a saw side business where he did that. Michael Gebman did. And um, so I called him and I gave him that piece of business and we kind of got to know each other. And then long story short, I was like, hey, Michael, like I work with this nonprofit. Would you want to shoot a video for them? And Michael said, that's a really interesting idea. You know, well, tell me more. And I was volunteering for a nonprofit called the Ozark Trail Association. And what the Ozark Trail does is they build a trail. It's so much fun. I highly recommend this organization to everyone. It's a great experience to get in the woods and get your hands dirty and do something really important. So what I had done is I'd figured out a way to get the Ozark Trail to come up with enough money to pay Michael and I to make a really good video for them. So we go out into the woods for a weekend. We really get to know each other well. We make this great video, uh, a documentary style video, you know, and um, Michael was like, dude, you really know what the hell you're doing. Like, you want to run my company? Because <laughs> Michael was working so hard and was booking so many weddings and was beginning to plateau as, as I was. Yeah. Uh, and we both saw an opportunity in each other. And he said, hey, I could pay your salary for one year, but that's it. And you could come work for me. And I was like, oh, my God, like this is this is another like opportunity. But I, I can't. Yeah. I can't. I have two kids and a mortgage, dude. No one is going to let me do this. Like, I can't. Yeah. my wife will not go for this. She's already sacrificed so much with this crazy hotel job. And somehow, some way, you know, the uh, video gods uh, shine down on us and my family supported it and they saw they saw the need for me to make a change. And when Michael and I joined forces, it was just like, like I like to say, the sun came out. You know, we just started from there. Yeah, we started contacting schools. I kind of found like a whole area of revenue that worked for his style of filmmaking. We kind of, you know, helped him keep up with all of those weddings and you know for about three years we just crushed it you know and because of michael's incredible ability not only behind the camera but basically in front of the camera to meet people and interact with them inspire them you know educate them motivate them like we like to say he got us work with tony robbins and we found ourselves working with tony robbins which is a whole nother story i wish we had more time to yeah. talk about um and we just had an incredible journey together um but it, you know, near the end of that journey, I identified the need to pursue schools and nonprofits. I was like, this is something I want to do. <clears throat> and Michael supported that. So we parted ways um, so I could start Route 3 Films. And that was almost seven, six, summer, six or seven summers ago, I think. Um, and since then, it's come full circle. Michael and I work together now. He shoots for me. I, I support him as much as I can. You know, he's part of our big group of crazy creatives. Yeah, um, Gibbs, Gibbs is an incredible guy. And yeah. Yeah, he'll definitely be on here sometime. But wow, I, would, that, would you say that's probably the hardest decision you've had to make would be to, to branch out on your own with business? Or would you say there's a harder one? Well, I thought the hardest decision to make was to leave my, my cushy career <laughs> and work for Gibbs. Uh, but really, if I'm being honest, it was much harder to leave Gibbs and, and to leave that safety net that he provided with his uh, his years of experience in business and really truly do my own thing like with a name Route 3 Films you know and this idea of of this narrative this brand like yeah. I mean that was scary as hell yeah because then it's, mean, it's just you too you know what I mean like then you had guests and yeah. you kind of you guys already had that established thing but now it's yeah. like a completely new thing yeah it was just me and my, my friend at the time and colleague at the time Chadwell who shot with me and edited for me. Um, it was, it was, it was scary. Yeah. Um, and then later, you know, as you know, Jimmy came on board and Chad will moved on and he's doing his own thing. But, um, that was scary. It was scary as hell, man. But I had so much experience running a company at the hotel. I literally had to run my own little team and then I had to run kind of Gebs's deal. So it, it's not that I was necessarily scared of that. I couldn't do it. It was like, could I survive? Yeah. Could I be sustainable? You know. Yeah, that's really really cool. Um, what are some guidelines that you would give people, or some advice? You know, that are looking to make a big life decision like that. Like, do you have to do you like weigh the pros and cons? Like, how did you? What are some good guidelines to give people? Well, obviously, you know, there's the traditional stuff like pros and cons, and and um, you know, go to the people that you love and trust, your brothers and your sisters, and your parents and your friends and your mentors, and go to them and get seek their advice. But you know, at the end of the day, it's your decision. Yeah. You know, uh, we can get as much advice as, as we, we can about getting married, about having children, about changing careers. But you are the man or the woman in the arena. So you have to you have to make that decision. Um, for me, uh, I'm a very kind of, you know, 
fun loving, you know, easygoing guy and stuff. But I, at the end of the day, I'm a pretty conservative guy financially and I'm careful about that kind of stuff. So I always make sure I always made sure that I had like reserves. I made sure I had plenty of money saved. I had a plan. I'm a real plan, good planner, as you yeah. know. And I had a lot of things planned for scenario A, scenario B, you know, emergency C. <laughs> <laughs> I always am a planner. And, and for people that are listening, they, they know, uh, uh, they should know that, that, that Alan wants me to a little bit more, be more of an optimist sometimes yeah. because I believe in Murphy's law. And when you work in a hotel, you believe in Murphy's law, which means anything that could go wrong will likely go wrong, but then, you know, plan for that. So it's tough, man. It's tough. But I guess ultimately, if you love something, you're passionate about it. And as I said earlier in the podcast, you're, you, you know, you can do it. You have the confidence to do it. You got to try it. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. we might as well go and give it a good effort and everything and try totally. it out. But so what kind of branching off that question, what would you what would be like a piece of advice for someone starting something creative, like a, a film company that wants to do paintings, musician, like what would be a good piece of advice for, yeah, yeah. for even just like running that, that business? You know, that? for me, it's all about content delivery. So no matter what you're doing, if you're a plumber, if you're building motorcycles, if you're making films, if you're a photographer, you're a painter, you're an artist, you have to deliver content to your audience at all times. And what that means is not just your product, it doesn't just mean like take great pictures of your motorcycles that you build or of the, um, the landscape photography that you like to take or whatever, yeah. you know, whatever it is that you like to do. Yes, you have to deliver that kind of creation or that product to the web, but you have to deliver yourself to the web because there is nothing worse. And I know everyone listening can agree to this. When you visit someone's website for services, like I need concrete, I need to fix my wall, you know, you visit someone's digital footprint, right? And you're looking for digital legitimacy. You're not looking for stock photography. You're not looking for, you know, something that almost doesn't look like a real company. Yeah. You want to see a real man or a real woman or a family. You want to learn their story. I think that about page is just as important as any other page on the website. At least to me as a yeah. consumer, it is. But you've got to create some legitimacy in that digital realm. So yes, please share your product, your services, your creations with the world, but you've got to share yourself. You've got to tell people who you are, what you're about, why you're doing what you're doing, because people that, that agree with you will align with you and figure out a way to e either hire you or share your work. And at the end of the day, as creatives, we want people to share our work. We yeah. want people to be fans of what we're doing, because if you're a fan of what I'm doing, somehow some way that's going to lead to a piece of business yeah it's kind of about being vulnerable which absolutely is, which is like the My hardest word. yeah the hardest <laughs> thing to do you know what i mean like kind of like tell your own story oh god yeah like fearless vulnerability you know you just have to be it's so hard for creative people it's hard for me i mean i may yeah. talk a good game but i'm just as nervous and vulnerable as the next person uh, when it comes to the things that i create and i try and put out and i think a really good example if i could share is um on my website there's this section called the wagon and what that's about is about an old station wagon uh, race car that my dad and I built, really my dad built because I was so little, but I was part of it um, back in the 90s. And um, he you know, sold the car and moved on to other projects, but we found the car again when I was old enough, uh, smart enough, and had the financial means to maybe buy the car and race it, which is what I do now. I thought, well, what if we shine a light on this? What if Jimmy shows up and we just document all of this? Why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that, that little film series called The Return of the Wagon has become extremely po wildly popular. Yeah, uh, I mean, people still talk about it like on shoots and they're like, how's the wagon? They're like, how's the racing yeah, going? Yeah. So yeah. people really loved it. Well, because they, they got a glimpse into kind of my life, right? They got a glimpse into me and my dad and this hobby that we really like. And it humanizes me, right? It humanizes my name, my brand, my company. You know, I talk about my children a lot. I talk about my hobbies a lot. I, I have to humanize myself. So that if people want to work with me, they're like, yeah, I want to work with that dude. Like, that's a good group of guys. Like, they're super transparent. They're, they taught me how to be vulnerable as, as my, in my own nonprofit or in my own school. We got to tell our story better. So I just feel like you, you can't hold back and you can't hide behind a flashy logo or your work. You've got to embrace kind of who you are and share who you are with people as much as you share your product. Yeah, because then I mean, people that like you show up to the shoot and they're like, oh, I love to... 
I love cars. I love to mountain bike. I love cooking. I like all these things. And it kind of, it's already like a, a, like a talking point. You can relate to people like that. Absolutely. So that's really cool. Yeah. Definitely like me starting this podcast. I was like, I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, I don't like to hear my own voice, but I was like, here we go. It's like, I wanted to talk to some great people. So, well, and you've gotten really good at challenging yourself to do all of these things, you know, and I think you, you need to be proud of that. Like this, doing this right here, doing a podcast is not easy. It's a little scary yeah. and it's, 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 there's some vulnerability here, you know, so make yeah. sure that, you know, you and others that listen, make sure you, you pat yourself on the back once in a while. You know, uh, Gabs used to talk about that. We, um, there was a big video production company in uh, St. Louis back in the day that Gebs and I were uh, kind of fans of. And one of the guys there told Michael, he's like, did you guys ever celebrate that big Tony Robbins project? And Michael was like, you know, we didn't. We just kind of got on to the next project. So you got to kind of remember to celebrate some of your achievements. It takes some time. Well, yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's definitely nice to put yourself outside your comfort zone, too. And then you kind of grow as a person. And you kind of forget new things. And you get to learn new things, too. We're talking to great people like you. It's like you get to also learn while you're doing that. So it works out pretty well. Mm-hmm. well we've had a good conversation so far. We'll just do a few more questions. Sure, and then, sure. Uh, but yeah, so one thing that we talk about a lot, we listen to Gary Vaynerchuk a lot, and one of his big things is about like saying no. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the hardest things for me and a lot of people that I know is just saying no. And so like, do you have any guidelines for, for what you say no to or any advice for people on how to, to say no? Such a good question. Such a good question. Everyone listening should be should be asking themselves that question too about the, the big no. Because <laughs> the problem with the big no, right, is that you want it to be a yes and you want to get work and pay your rent and put gas in your car. You know, you, you need money. So it's really difficult to say no. It's extremely difficult. Um, it's hard for me to say no now, as you know, with a lot of projects that I take on. Um, I think the best way for me to answer this question is to go back to my days in the hotel. And I can remember my, my technicians or the people in the ballroom that were setting up the show would get hit with a few questions from the client. Well, can we get more microphones or can we get this or can we get that? You know, and the technicians would get really flustered and get really, you know, they didn't know what to say. And, you know, they didn't even know if the equipment was available. And they'd get on the walkie-talkie and they'd be like, uh, Ryan, can you come to the ballroom, please? <laughs> Ryan, please come to the ballroom. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd walk down there, you know, and I obviously knew the client because I set it all up and sold the show and put it all together. And, you know, the client has basically at that point probably gotten a no from one, two or three people already in the in the room. Yeah. And you gotta think the client is a few hours from the start of the event. They're nervous. They're their butts on the line, right? They're putting the show together. And they come to me and they really don't want another no from me. So usually it's yes, but you know. So turn your no's into yes, but. I always would say yes to people in the hotel. I'd say, absolutely, we can do this. We can get more microphones for you. It's not a problem. But I want to I want to explain to you a couple of situations here. Let me paint a couple of pictures for you. You know, I got to get those from a hotel that's about you know thirty minutes away, so we're gonna have some courier costs. But we can do this, and we will do this. So I was always talking in positive, certain ways. This will happen. I will make this happen for you. You know, or what I would do often. Um, maybe this is why I don't work there anymore. <laughs> is I would just give, 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 give. Yeah. I always love that. Say say the word give three times. Give, give, give. So what I would do is I'd say, all right, you need more microphones for your panel discussion. We didn't know about this, but I'm going to fix this for you. I got two more that I can get you. And I'm going to give them to you for free. Let me go get them. Let me fix this for you. So maybe the client was asking for six microphones. Well, you don't really need six microphones for a panel discussion. You can use three handheld microphones. Yeah. So I created a solution for her. I did it for free. And she felt like she had someone who was her ally in that moment. And I would do that over and over and over and over again. Because what's the big, you know, I mean, if we're charging $150 for a wireless mic and I give her two, 200 bucks, you know, like, is she going to be more happy? Like, if yeah, I'm like, like yes, experience. I can go get the two in the closet over here collecting dust and charge you $300 and piss you off. Or I can go get the three microphones in the closet collecting dust and give them to you and then maybe give you a gift certificate to the restaurant because you're a little stressed out, right? Yeah. Because then you know the, like, the client experience is going to be so good. And then yeah. people, when people will come in and ask them, like, how was the the, like, the event at the Four Seasons? They're just going to be like, oh, it was great. It was so good. You should definitely have your event there. So then it kind of continues to, yeah. to build that brand. And you didn't just say, like, a hard no. Like, we can't do anything. Like, sorry. 
Yeah, so I guess to answer your question, it should never be a hard no. It should be a thoughtful, it should be a very thoughtful yes, but. Yeah, you know. and set some restrictions on it so that way that you and your company is protected, but then it also helps them out and solves their problem. And as a creative, if you're like, hey, maybe I'm just not a good fit for this person, you can say that. You can say, I really want to work with you. I really want to make this film, paint this painting, uh, you know, shoot this, this photography session for you, but I just don't know if I'm a good fit for you. And when you say that, they're going to be a little pissed off or they're going to be confused. And they're going to say, well, well why? Why, why, why are you not a good fit for us? We want to hire you. And that's where you really get an open ear and you can tell them why. And you can say, well, I'm concerned about this, this and this. I feel like I'm worth this. And these are the kind of things I need us to try and do together to be successful together. And then you're building this bridge. You're getting them to listen. And if they say no, then, then they have to say no. Alan, that's the best part about it is then they have to say no to you and say, I can't afford that. But you know what, I can't, I can't afford you for two hours to shoot those photos. And you're like, you know what, I'll do that for two hours. So it's just, you just can't be so like, no, no, I don't yeah. wanna do this. Screw these guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be thought, it has to be a thoughtful yes, yeah. but. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you really still need to continue doing work and things like that. But yeah, that way you can kind of set the terms for what's best for both of you, so. And as, you, and as you know well, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, Tim Ferriss, these guys that we just love to listen to, um, a lot of times what they've taught us is that if you say no and you have some strings attached, right? You know, a thoughtful no or a thoughtful yes, but they'll come back to you. If they want you, they'll come back. They'll yeah. say, we can't afford it. Or maybe you're right right now. This doesn't work, but they'll probably come back to you because you said no. Versus saying yes and having a terrible experience. Yeah. <laughs> and then everyone, like everyone's, everyone hates each yeah, other. Everyone's mad. So yeah. Um, I think one of the, the coolest things about, Route three and Ryan Hanlon is that uh, you like to give back a lot. You know, I think I find that to be really nice, and it's always fun to go out and help people and tell their stories. That you know, like little nonprofits and things like that. So, talk about how, um, like, how do you think that giving back has helped you succeed? You always say like giving like your time, talent, and treasure. I yeah, like that line. yeah. It's um, I don't know. I mean, it just it's like anything else. It's just something that's kind of come naturally to me. Um, my parents were both tireless volunteers. We were always at some thing, volunteering for something at the school or yeah. some fun 5K or something. <laughs> um, you know, and, I, and I'm, I, you know, I grew up in a, a, a small Catholic school. Uh, my family is kind of a crazy Irish Catholic family. And my big takeaways from like my grade school experiences were service. Like it was always service. It was never like... Um, I never felt like religion was pushed to me um, real hard. I thought service was more the takeaway that I got from it. And then my high school, uh, Marquette Catholic High School in all Illinois, their motto was servium, you know, serve others. So I don't know, maybe just from an early age, that was always kind of ingrained is that, you know, service to others is kind of a great thing to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun. And as a kid, service usually involved a fun event a fun gathering, you know, so service to others was always just something that was just made sense, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, in the hotel, you know, my version of service was just making sure people were really happy and pleased and taken care of and given those extra, you know, those extra little things that really brighten their day. Um, and obviously a brand like the four seasons, um, stands behind you when you do those types of things. But when I started my own company and I began to enjoy some success, you know, I immediately thought, okay, well, let's, let's turn this around. Let's start figuring out a way to do cool, interesting projects for free. And one idea I had was this idea called Ozark stories. And I use the word Ozark just cause it's, it doesn't necessarily mean like Southeastern Missouri only. It means kind of like this whole area, right? Mm -hmm. This whole area that yeah. is the Ozarks to me, especially when I was living in San Diego and I would refer to where I was from, um, you know, St. Louis, the Ozarks region and things like that. And so Ozark stories are basically self-funded films that we make for people that we care about. Cool people that we meet, cool organizations that we meet. Um, maybe it's an organization that's hired us and has paid us, but maybe they deserve a bonus film or maybe they deserve a bonus um, piece of content or something like that. Um, and it just, it feels so good to be, and, and here's the other thing, it feels good, but it's also like, I get to do what I like to do. Yeah, we get to tell cool stories. Yeah, we, we like making films, we like taking photos and, if I had all the money in the world, I would 
keep taking photos and keep making films. You know what I mean? Yeah, continue, like, continue doing, doing what you're doing now. And that's what people kind of have to ask themselves that are listening to this. They have to say, okay, if I had, uh, you know, a, a billion dollars or whatever, what would I do? You know, some of us might just go sit on a beach and that's totally fine. What I would do is exactly what I'm doing now because I'm so fulfilled and so happy. I would just figure out a way to help more people and give away more money. You know, yeah, I might have a faster race car, but <laughs> <laughs> a nice big rig set up. Big yeah, rig, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's all about giving to me. It's just it's always come easy to me. Uh, I enjoy the hell out of it, and I just enjoy when people are happy and they're happy with me and happy with the experience they've had with me. Going all the way back to those high school plays, going all the way back to that high school movie I made, watching that audience react to something I did is a very incredible experience. So if I have the opportunity to do that for someone for free and it benefits their organization or their school or their business, then hell yeah, you know, let's do it. So that's great. Yeah. I love that philosophy. Well, this has been a good conversation. We've got one more question for Uh-oh. you. So, uh, like I said, we do these documentary style films and at the end of every interview, Ryan asks mostly the same question and he asks people, why do you do what you do? So Ryan, my question to you today is why do you do what you do? <laughs> no, I'm supposed to ask this question. Oh, that's a good question. Um, gosh, I don't know. I don't know. For so long, I just didn't think I would ever do this ever again. You know, for so long, I felt like I was just going to be pining away, um, bouncing around careers, just trying to pay my mortgage. And, and that was that, you know, uh, so I tell people all the time, I feel incredibly lucky and blessed that this is all working out and that I'm getting to do good work for good people. Um, so I guess why I do what I do means, you know, to me, it's like, th- this has been a gift, you know, Route 3 Films has been a gift. Sorry, I'm getting a little choked up here. <laughs> it's just been a gift in my life and hopefully it's been a gift to other people that we serve. So. Um, I just don't want it to stop. I don't want it ever to stop. Um, so I keep doing this so I can keep doing this. You know, there's been plenty of times where we could have went and worked for a big agency or we could have moved in a different direction with the type of people we serve. But I think the work would have suffered. And I think the experience that we all have as filmmakers would have suffered. So I just keep on keeping on, you know, and we're not, you know, we're not making tons and tons of money, but we, we get by. We do great work for great people. We have free time with our families and our hobbies. I tell clients all the time, man, I get to coach sports. I get to go on field trips because I started my own company. So yeah, I guess why I do what I do is because I'm so fulfilled. I'm so lucky. I'm so happy every day. And I just want to just keep doing this. And I want people like you and others to to experience this in their own way um, as well. It's great, man. Thank you for thank you for sharing. Like I said, thanks for being here today. It was a, a good first episode. Absolutely. So where can uh, where can people find you online and the the socials? Oh, and the socials. Uh, well, obviously, uh, route3films.com is the old website. Um, you know, we're on Instagram. Driver, director, dad. Instagram, yeah. Instagram is where I get to dabble a little bit. Um, obviously, we're on Facebook. We're on Twitter, but we don't do a lot on Twitter. Um, but yeah, we're out there and we want to hear from you. And uh, what I always tell people is, you know, the best gift you can give a uh, small business or a creative is your attention. You know, um, visit us online, give us a like, give us a share, give us a comment um, and do that for the other people that you're fans of. You know, they they want your likes, they want your commentary, they want your shares, you know. Yeah, it's important to, to hear from the people that you want yeah, to serve. Peeps. Yeah, hear from the peeps. <laughs> well, thank you, Ryan. And uh, I'm sure I'll have you on the podcast again sometime soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Alan.